Sports fans of all ages, faces, and places from every stadium, arena, and auditorium all over the world. May I have your attention, please? Well, time's coming when we're going to have to handy up. Handy up and kick in like men. Like men! It is now time to bring to your listening ears, hearts, and minds a sports podcast named Wendell's World in Sports. With the one and only Wendell Wallace. Tell him how you feel. A podcast that gives you strong, passionate, unapologetic, uncompromised thoughts and opinions about the everyday happenings in the NFL. And college football to the NBA in my Georgetown Hoyas. Giannis fires one down and an exclamation point for Milwaukee. To any other sporting news of the day. And now, introducing the man whose love of sports was born and bred on the greatest Muhammad Ali, Lynn Baez, Magic Johnson, Bernard King, and Eric Dickerson, Wendell Wallace. One of those world of sports, I got some special de- dedications I want to give out before I start the podcast. Special dedication for those who are listening to this audio in Austin, in Australia. Special dedication for those who are listening to this broadcast in Brazil, in Boston. Special, special dedication for those who are listening to this podcast in Pakistan, in Pittsburgh, in Pennsylvania. Thank you so doggone much. Anywhere all over the globe, thank you so much for listening to Wendell's World in Sports, the most unique, entertaining, thought-provoking sports talk podcast that you can listen to i thank you so doggone much special dedication before we get into the nba draft before we get into the significance of the nba draft before we start getting into my washington wizards making moves and what does it mean for them and the boston celtics and the golden state warriors before we start getting into this damon Damian Lillard saga, when's he going to stay, if he's going to stay, what's happening, what's going on with him and the Portland Trail Blazers. Before we get into all of those things, which I'm going to be discussing on today's podcast, I just want to say anywhere would you listen to your favorite podcast, iHeart, iTunes, Spotify, Amazon, anywhere would you listen to your favorite podcast, do me a favor, go ahead, download, subscribe, rate, review, most importantly, as always, enjoy the most unique, entertaining, thought-provoking sports talk podcast that you can listen to. If you could do that, please, I would appreciate that so doggone much. The more five stars I can get, the better it's going to be for moi. So that's what I want to get into. That's what I want to talk about. So now, let's go ahead and move in and talk about some things like the NBA draft, shall we, man? Very little intrigue for this draft, despite the possible historical importance of this draft and the draft class, when you think about, of course, the number one draft pick, Victor Wembanyama. when you think about this guy and what his talent is supposed to be, what his expectations are supposed to be, what um, the, the, the potential that he could, if he lives up to, man, if, if Victor lives up to 85 to 90%, very rarely in, in sports, does anybody live up to the hype, especially if they're um, highly regarded. Kareem Abdul-Jabbar lived up to the hype. A guy who was supposed to change the game. A guy who, when he was Lou Alcindor as a sophomore at Power Memorial in New York City, was a guy who was going to change the way the game that was played. He lived up to the hype. LeBron James being put on the cover of Sports Illustrated saying the next great one at the age of 15 when he was a sophomore in Akron, Ohio. He has come out and he has lived. He has has, um, reached and fulfilled and maybe even succeeded all of the expectations that uh, people put up for him. If Victor Wimbanyana can come up to 85 or 90% 
in terms of the expectations reached uh, by the majority of folks who know the game of basketball, who follow the game of basketball, who get paid to tell us about the game of basketball, his peers who are predicting what he can be when he comes into the NBA. If, if Victor Wimbenyana can live up to 85 or 90% of that, we're talking about a guy who's going to change the game. He's going to have the same impact when everything is said and done that Nikola Jokic is going to have, that Luka Doncic is going to have, that Larry Bird and Magic Johnson had, like Michael Jordan had, like LeBron James had, like Kareem Abdul-Jabbar had, like Shaquille O'Neal had, like Elgin Baylor had, like George Mikan had, like Bill Russell had, like Wilt Chamberlain had. All, all of these guys who just not only did great, scored a lot of points, won championships and do all those things, but they fundamentally changed the way that the game is played. That's the expectation for Victor Wimbanyana. Draft picks 8, 9, 12, 22, 27, 31, 46, 53 of this NBA draft class, they, they can do a lot of things. They can maybe go on to have productive years. And maybe when we look back, it's going to be a situation of where we where we put this NBA draft class 15, 20 years from now. It's all going to depend on what Victor Wembanyama turned out to be. Unless Scoop, Scoot Henderson or Brandon Miller or somebody else just blows everything out the water, this draft class is going to depend on how great and how close did Victor Wembanyama come to meeting, to to meeting and reaching and fulfilling all the p- potential that uh, that he had. So yeah, when you take a look, especially when you're speaking about the first five picks, the first five picks, if you really think about it, at, at the very least three of them, the first three players drafted in this past NBA draft in any other draft class within the last. I don't know, 10, 15 years. There's many draft classes where not just Wembenyana, who probably would have been the number one pick um, going all the way back probably to LeBron James. There was some talk when LeBron James was coming out of uh, high school that maybe Darko Milicic, after the unbelievable performance that he put on pre-draft camp for the uh, Detroit Pistons, there was scuttlebutt that uh, he might be the number one draft pick because of his size and what he could do at that time and age, at, at, at that stage of... Uh, uh, of the game of the NBA at that point. Uh, luckily, the right decision was made by the Cavaliers. But, man, I, I can go back. You can speak about Zion. You can speak about all these other guys. You can speak about Anthony Davis. All of these high-profile draft picks, prospects, when they were the number one pick and how they were going to change the game. If Victor Wimbanyana was available with his skill set at that time, those teams, the New Orleans Pelicans, would have drafted Wimbanyana. The Washington Wizards, instead of John Wall, would have drafted Wimbanyana. The New Orleans Pelicans, even when they had the opportunity to uh, select Anthony Davis, who was coming off a championship at the University of Kentucky, wouldn't have mattered. Victor Wimbanyana would have been the number one draft pick. And again, going all the way back to LeBron James. But when you speak about Scoot Henderson and you speak about Brandon Miller, there are many draft classes that they would have been the number one player picked. Again, just based on the potential, just based on the expectations, just based on their playing profile. So you had three players at the very minimum who in any other year could have been that draft class's number one draft pick. That's how talented, that's what the expectations are for 
Wen Binyana for Scoot Henderson and for uh, Brandon Miller. So again, you're taking a look at the potential generational, all-time impactful, game-changing talent, and then you have a potential future MVP franchise-changing talent along with some potential all-NBA talent. You know, the Thompson Twins not, might not go down as one of the greatest players of their generation, but they can be they can be twins who have the potential to be all NBA players. They have the potential to be a, a, a player that could be 1A on a team that wins a championship or a team that wins championships. So when you're speaking about the first five teams that were drafting in last week's NBA draft class, the San Antonio Spurs, the Charlotte Hornets, the... Portland Trailblazers, the Houston Rockets, and the Detroit Pistons, they have the opportunity to draft someone who can change the ways and the route of their franchise. Because right now, San Antonio had the worst record in the league last year. They've been floundering a bit since Tim Duncan and Manu Ginobili and the last of the Spurs dynasty retired. You take a look at Charlotte, who hasn't been to the playoffs anytime soon. They've been a floundering, failing franchise with Michael Jordan, Michael Jordan at the minority owner. You take a look at the Portland Trailblazers, who have underperformed with one of the uh, great players and one of the best players of this generation, Dame Lillard. You speak about Houston, who has been stuck in rebuilding mode almost as much as the process with the Philadelphia 76ers. And then you take a look at a team like the Detroit Pistons, who have been mired in mediocrity and ineptitude for years and years and years, even before the Stan Van Gundy era, E-R-R-O-R era took place. So these are franchises that are starving to have someone give them a jolt. They, these, these franchises are starving for players who can turn their programs around. And they have, the, uh, they have the opportunity to do so. They have the potential to do so if, again, these players uh, reach their potential. And again, we're, we're speaking about Victor Wembanyama. I mean, what, what's going to be the basement for him in terms of, man, bust or whatever. I mean, let's let's just say, for instance, maybe because of injury, maybe because of some other things. What, what would Victor Wembanyama be? What type of impact on the game and the San Antonio Spurs organization is Victor Wembanyama going to have? Say if he turns out to be 55 to 60% of what we all expect from him. And again, I mean, if you're just speaking about a guy who's going to go down as the greatest player who's ever played the game, which means that he's going to be better than Jabbar. He's going to be better than Russell. He's going to be better than Jordan. He's going to be better than LeBron. He's going to be better than all these guys. If you speak about then, he's only going to reach 65% of that. I mean, depending upon what the San Antonio Spurs do, that still puts uh, the the organization in a position to be um, championship contenders for years to come. So, I mean, that is the scope when we're speaking about Wimbanyana. And then again, Miller... Henderson and the Thompson and the uh, Thompson twins. We don't know. We don't know. And again, how how if you take a look at if you take a look at the drafts and you take a look and you see just like the NFL draft, there's going to be a high draft pick that's going to fail. There's going to be a high draft pick that's going to be a bust. Which of these draft picks? Let, let, let's just say because we'll take a look at the. At, at the um, last draft picks. And we say, uh, out of those five players that were selected, the five players in the 2023 NBA draft that were selected, which one has the best chance to be an unbelievable all-time great talent? Or let's just say to reach the expectations that were given. And which 
talent or which player has the chance to be a bust. Maybe be a journeyman. Maybe be a guy that's the fourth best player on a team that's pretty good to uh, make it to the playoffs and maybe the second round. That's going to happen. That's, that, that is going to be there. It's going to be interesting to see which one of these players pan out and which one of these players don't. Interesting point, though, I want to make because I remember... I remember the last podcast I was speaking about, man, you look, I, I still think the, um, I still think the divided racist, ignorant states of America, I still think that this country still has the best NBA talent. I think they still produce the best um, basketball talent. But I was speaking about, hey, man, you take a look at the guys right now who are doing some things with the game. And you take a look at the last five MVPs of the NBA, Giannis winning it twice. Jokic winning it twice, Embiid winning it last uh, season. And you take a look at some of the best players. You take a look at the All-NBA team, and you see guys like Luka, and you see guys like uh, Giannis, and you see guys like uh, Jokic and these guys uh, filtering all throughout the first and second and third All-NBA teams. I'm thinking to myself, okay, LeBron James is 38 years old. Steph Curry is 34 years old. Who who, who is going to be that next guy? Who's going to be the next great American player? Who's going to be that guy? Because we've never really had that before. We've never really had the best player of the, the best player in the game for a certain amount of time, say five plus years. That's that's never been a European. That's never been an African player. That's never been a player from any other continent except North America, except for this country. Now you take a look at the rise and dominance of players like Giannis from Greece and. Um, Luca and those guys who really have the potential, especially when you talk about Luca, to be one of the best players to ever go down and be the best player of his generation. And now you um, piggyback that with Wembenyano. Where is the next great LeBron? Where is the next Stephen Curry? Where is the next Kareem Abdul-Jabbar? Where is the next Shaquille O'Neal? Where is the next Kobe Bryant? Where is the next Dwayne Wade? Where, where, where are they? Where are these guys that's going to be, without question, the best player in the NBA that's American for a while? Where is this guy? What's going to be happening to this guy? Is it going to be one of the Thompson twins? Is it going to be somebody who we don't even think about right now? Is it some guy who right now is a junior in college right now? Is it going to be Caleb Williams from Sitwell Friends High School who just uh, verbal to Georgetown University, a guy who's ranked in the top 100, a four-star athlete. Is it going to be one of those guys? Who is this guy? Who? Which guy is going to come on the radar? And man, I don't want to say save America basketball because America's basketball doesn't need to be saving. But man, let me tell you something. In my community, in the black community, there are some things that we kind of stick our check, uh, chest out and say, yeah, it's absolute. We're the best rappers of all time. We're the best dancers of all time. And we're best at playing the game of basketball. And now we have some folks from Europe threatening that a little bit, kind of making their imprints and kind of taking over the top tier talent in terms of uh, the NBA right now. It's going to be interesting. Take a look at the first five picks again. And here's another point that I want to make. Wen Banyana, Brandon Miller, the Thompson twins, uh, Scoot Henderson. Only one of those guys played in college. Brandon Miller, and he played one season at Alabama, not at Kentucky, not at Indiana, not at Duke, unfortunately not at Georgetown, but this is a guy who played at Alabama, a football school. So we take a look at the way the NBA is going right now. We take a look at these trends. All of a sudden now, forget the days. Remember, remember my generation? 
all the good old days, man, when college basketball with these guys would stay four years in college and earn their degree and blah, 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 even though that's been one of the biggest myths. Yeah, you had the Christian Leitners. Yeah, you had the Patrick Ewings. Yeah, you had those type of players who might have stayed four years. The last great player to stay four years in the NBA, or excuse me, four years in college and then um, play in the NBA and make an impact was Tim Duncan in Grand Hill. Those were the last players who stayed in college four years when they could have gone pro much earlier. Now the situation, look, Jordan came out his junior year. Magic came out his sophomore year. Isaiah came out his sophomore year. Larry Bird, after transferring from Indiana to Indiana State, only played two years in Indiana State, as a, and so he left as a junior. Akeem Olajuwon left as a junior. Shaquille O'Neal left as a junior. Kobe Bryant didn't even play uh, college basketball. So, so this myth that's always been perpetrated by the old head from my generation and the generation before who speak about, oh, you know, the NBA, these guys, they don't go to college four years, so they don't learn the um, fundamentals and they don't learn to shoot and AAU basketball is ruining everything and all this type of nonsense. I, I, I don't know what the answer is. And, and, and now there's um, discussion about, oh, one of the reasons why uh, these European players are starting to close the gap quicker than we ever imagined is because that these guys when they're 14 when they're 15 when they're 16 are now playing um against grown men and they're playing in professional leagues overseas they're playing in lithuania they're playing in serbia they're playing in all of these european leagues and, and yeah they're not out there scoring 35 points a game as a 16 year old but guess what they're playing against men they're being groomed. They're being taught the fundamentals. They're 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 hardened. Uh, they grow up a lot faster. Some of the um, some of the pitfalls, pratfalls that might become a rising superstar if you're the number one ranked player as a junior in high school basketball. Those guys in Europe, they're not having those type of temptations. They're they're, they're not learning those type of bad habits in terms of just being a person. No, no, the, the, the younger generation, which expects everything to be handed to them. Oh yeah, Bernie Sanders is great. We don't have to pay for this. That's free. This is free. Everything's free. College is free. This, that, the other is free. I mean, these guys who are 15, 16 years old who are playing professional basketball who want to make it in the NBA, and they're going up against grown men, and they're being taught the game, they're being uh, groomed to play the game, and then in, in, in that type of sense, I mean, that's starting to make their impact. That's starting to have an effect. So it'll be interesting moving forward if Overtime Elite can curb some of that nonsense. And maybe we'll see what happens with the with the Thompson Twins. We'll, we'll see what happens with this G League, where these guys now don't go to college. And, and, and there's going to be uh, more and more examples that we can see down the line if really any of this is taking, is taking hold. Because the European basketball players, they're coming, baby. And not all 14, 15-year-olds and 16-year-olds from Lithuania and from Australia and from Africa and all these places, they're, they're not going to the G League. They're not going to colleges, American colleges. They're not going to overtime elite. These guys are playing professionally in Europe, and by the time these guys are 17, 18, 19, 20, 21, 22, they have the maturity level because of the rigors, because of the experiences that they've had in grooming themselves to be NBA prospects and NBA basketball players. These guys have gone through the rigors 
that these guys who have been playing AAU basketball or high school basketball, even if it's at the IMG Academy, even if even if it's at that um, powerhouse school who just won the um, high school basketball high school basketball championships down there in Branson, Missouri, even if they're going to those type of Flint Hill type basketball uh, systems, they're still not going to be at the same level of these guys who have been playing against grown men. So you throw that into a guy who has been dominating AAU basketball and then he'll go to um, play one year in college and then get out and go to the pros. Advantage European who has been, who has had a much harder and greater experience to be a NBA basketball player. So we'll see. We'll see what happens. But again, um, the days of guys going to Duke and learning under the John Thompsons and the Mike Krzyzewskis and the Roy Williams and the Jim Beheims and the and those type of players, the Bob Knights and all that, that's, that's all gone, man. That's, a, that's been generations blown up. Tom Izzo and all them fakes, uh, they're, all, they're all gone now. The Calipari's of the world, uh-uh, they're all gone now. So, interesting, interesting. So, yeah, man, Wimbanyana, um, you know, professionally in France. Um, Thompson Twins, overtime elite, um, G League for Scoot Henderson. But then you take a look at after those five players were selected. Those five guys that have the most of the potential, the ones that are really going to shape the class in terms of where it stands. Of course, Wimbanyana having the biggest say in that matter. But then after that, man, I just, watching the NBA draft, I was just kind of like, who, huh, what, huh? So the Orlando Magic drafted Anthony Black from Arkansas with the number six pick. I, I, I can't. Indiana drafted my man Bilal Kulabale. With the number seven pick and trading him to my Washington Wizards, a guy who, I guess you could say they're calling him the French Scotty Pippen of the way that his he went from a non-prospect to a top six, top seven prospect all in one season, hit a growth spurt. Saw some of his highlights. The man can jump. At the very most, the guy can be a good defender. Um, his jump shot looks a little eh, but it being what 18, 19 years old, they've got some time. So, the Indiana Pacers uh, selected. Uh, Kulebale, and I'll get his name right one of these days, to um, for Washington. Washington turned around and selected Jace Walker from Houston with the number seven pick, traded him to uh, Indiana. Utah selected Taylor Hendricks, coached by my man Johnny Dawkins from Mike, from Mackin High School in uh, Washington, D.C. I wonder if that school even is open right now. But, um, yeah, they selected Taylor Hendricks from the University of Central Florida. Coached by my man Johnny Dawkins. The Dallas Mavericks selected Carson Wallace, no relation, unfortunately, from Kentucky and traded him to OKC. Carson Wallace is not related to me because if he was, I would be one of those moochers and being one of those leechers saying, What's up, nephew? Say, man, uh, you know, there's this world cruise I kind of want to go on. Can you hook me up with that silent bonus that you're going to get? And, oh, yeah, there's some stuff that I need in terms of uh, making my town home a little bit better. Do you mind if I, I don't know, maybe borrow, have, I don't know, 100, 200 grand, you know? Hey, my car's got over 200,000 miles on it. A nice new 2024 Toyota Camry. That would suit me just well. Come on, man. Hook a brother up, Wallace. So, yeah, there, there's there's no, there's no, um. Uh, <laughs> There's no relation. Yeah, because if there was, again, I would be doing this from my um, my townhome overlooking um, a beautiful view of downtown Vancouver, if there was. So he was drafted by the 
uh, Mavericks, and the Mavericks then traded him to OKC. Orlando drafted Jed Howard, which everybody was saying, why in the hell are they draft, drafting Jed Howard? I didn't see Michigan play. I know that uh, he has good pedigree. His father, uh, Jawan Howard, played for Michigan, of course, part of the Fab Five, and started his career with the with my Washington Wizards, along with Chris Webber. So um, I don't know if he's a good pick or not. He can shoot, but they say he can't do anything else. The Orlando Magic definitely needs some shooting. So we'll see what happens with that. They said the same thing about Cam Johnson being drafted number 10 with uh, Phoenix. They were like, what in the hell are they going to be drafting him that high? And he turned out to be a, a good prospect for them. Or he turned out to uh, be a um, good, impactful player for them in the role that he was giving. So we'll see what happens with uh, Miami, or excuse me, with Orlando in that pick. And then Oklahoma City selected Derek Lively out of Duke, traded him to the uh, Mavericks. Lively, a guy who... Was um, Lively was a guy who was the number one ranked player, seven feet tall, and I guess because Dallas really hadn't have really has not had a defensive minded center who could really be impactful on the defensive end since Tyson Chandler uh, played for the Mavericks the year that they won the championship. I guess that they're hoping that somehow, some way, they can replicate that if they do everything in their power to make Luca happy, so he doesn't run off to uh, Orlando. With his with his uh, buddy Jamal Mosley, who's the coach down there, or saying, "Look, these guys don't know what they're doing. Get me out of here." So, really, man, when you take a look at those picks, I don't know what's going to uh, I don't know what's going to hit, and I don't know what's going to miss. How, how, how knows? We don't know how many prospects are going to meet expectations, and how many will be traded within the uh, few years. You know predicting what's going to happen in the draft class compared to the last five. You look, we, we speak about, I spoke about 2019, right? And I spoke about Zion being this, oh my goodness, when he came into the draft and he was drafted by, um, he was drafted by New Orleans. And when New Orleans won the lottery to draft him, that uh, at that time, oh my goodness, I could see his face, but I can't remember his name, the coach, who, Alvin Gentry, yes, Alvin Gentry, <laughs> when, um, when New Orleans won the uh, rights to select number one, and of course everybody knew that there was going to be Zion and Alvin Gentry. When they found out that uh, they won, he was at the uh, you know he represented the uh, Pelicans at that draft. So as soon as they found out that uh, they were going to have the number one pick, Alvin Gentry gets up and starts high fiving everybody and starts going all Negro on everybody. <laughs> so so uh, how's Alvin doing right now? Oh, that's right, he's no longer the coach of that team and. So, I mean, look, Zion, number one, John Morant, number two. Hey, man, both, both of those guys right now are kind of like in limbo when we speak about what type of impact they're going to have and some of the things that they're going through right now. The number three pick, R.J. Barrett, who only a year before that was considered the number one prospect in the country out of high school coming into Duke. I mean, he's been, we've been waiting. He's been fine, I guess. R.J. playing for the New York Knicks, he's a, He's sort of a polarizing figure being number one. You thought that maybe he would have a better, bigger impact than Julius Randle or with Randle playing the way that he is along with Jalen Brunson that you're hoping that R.J. Barrett could play better enough to maybe advance New York to an Eastern Conference Finals right now even though he's, what, three or four years into his career. He was drafted number three. DeAndre Hunter is just a role player for the Hawks. Darius Garland is the one guy, though, who turned out to be doing well so far. I mean, he's been an all-star. But take a look at these other guys. Jared Culliver, Kobe White, Jackson Hayes, Rudy Hachimura, Cam Reddish. Those were picks number was six, seven, eight, nine, and 10. 
in the 2019 draft. Culliver and Hayes are playing in the G League right now. Hachimura is no longer playing for the Wiz. And Cam Reddish is barely hanging on to his NBA career. And Colby White's nothing more than a role player who's not getting meaningful minutes. You take a look at the 2020 NBA draft. Anthony Edwards, okay. James Wiseman, drafted by the Golden State Warriors. Oops. That missed. LaMelo Ball, all right. Patrick Williams hasn't had the impact. Um, Isaac Okoro still can't shoot. Killian Hayes for the Pistons. He, I believe he's in the G League right now. Uh, Denny Avia, he's okay. Jalen Smith, who was drafted number 10 by the Phoenix Suns. I don't even think that guy's in the league right now. And that's only, what, three years ago? You speak about the 2021 picks. Cade Cunningham missed all the last season with a uh, injury, but he seemed to be a keeper. Jalen Green, we don't know about. Evan Mosley looks like a keeper. Scotty Barnes looks like a keeper. But then Jalen Suggs from Gonzaga, we don't know. Josh Giddy turns, turns, is turning out to play pretty well. Jonathan Kaminga of the Warriors. Questions are surrounding him. Franz Wagner, solid. Davion Mitchell, solid. Zaire Williams, solid. So we don't know. All I'm saying that with these top 10 picks, when we take a look at the top 10 picks from this year's NBA draft, and we speak at Winbinyana and Brandon Miller, Scoot Henderson, the Thompson Twins, Anthony Black, Bilal Coulier, Koulibaly, damn it, uh, Jarris Walker, um, Taylor Hendricks, Carson Waller, uh, Wallace, Jet Howard, Derek Lively. There's going to be about three or four guys three years, four years from now who are not going to be playing in the NBA. They might be in the G League. They might be doing two ways. But I'm, I'm telling you right now, history tells us that from those 12 players that I just mentioned, there's going to be three or four players who are A, either going to be in the G League, B, going to be on their second team, or C, going to be a disappointment, or D, all of the above. So I'm interested to see which one is it going to be. Is it going to be Black? Is it going to be Hendricks? Is it going to be Wallace? Is it going to be Lively? Is it going to be one of the Thompson twins? Is it going to be Wimbanyana? We don't know. We don't know. Of course, I think they're going to give Wimbanyana uh, every, uh, I think they're going to, San Antonio is going to give Wimbanyana every chance humanly possible uh, before they give up on him or they say that he's not good enough. It's going to, it's going to take a Greg Oden type injury in terms of him missing multiple seasons for San Antonio, maybe in year five or six to say, you know what? It ain't happening. So interesting, interesting. So I was just, just taking a look at that, man. When I, when I, I always like to go back and take a look at history to say, okay, which one of these guys, what, what, what does history say? Was because when you take a look at the NBA draft coverage, everybody's going to be an impactful player. Everybody's going to be able to help. Everybody's going to be able to fill a role. Everybody's going to live up their potential. Everybody's going to come close to living up their potential. And everything, the, the glass have to be, the, the glass has to be half full with all of these guys. Even if they mention the fact, even if Jay Billis was, you know, when he talks about, well, you know, he's not really a good shooter. He only shot 38%, or he only shot 38% from two and really couldn't finish at the rim. And the three point shooting or three, um, the four shot attempts from the three point range was only 23%. Even when he throws out those statistics, He'll come back with, but, you know, he's very talented. He seems to be improving and this, that, and the other. No, he's just like, so those are his weaknesses, but I still believe that his strengths and the reason why that he was drafted where he was drafted will overcome those weaknesses. And, and there's going to be plenty of players who are like, nope, he wasn't able to overcome those uh, those obstacles. He wasn't 
over able to overcome those weaknesses. And guess what? What we saw in college, what we saw overseas, what we saw uh, before he came to the NBA, his weaknesses, those are still there. You know, Derek Lively was a guy who was uh, falling because, well, he couldn't shoot. I mean, yeah, he can dunk, but that's about all he can do. But then he went to the uh, pre-draft and he started hitting jumpers. So it was like, okay, well, I guess he can shoot. Well, if he can't shoot in the game, I'm going to I'm going to um, determine the shooting skills of Derek Lively in a game, not in um, some preseason workouts. But we'll see. We'll see. The people who are making these decisions have a lot more knowledge and understanding about uh, these guys than I do. So we will we will see what happens. Wendell's World of Sports. I'm your host, Wendell Wallace. So glad that you could be with us. Predicting what's going to be happening. I went over that. Um... How about this? Um, when you take a look at the other storylines, everybody, I shouldn't say everybody, that's wrong, but a lot of people are shouting and screaming at the Charlotte Hornets for selecting Brandon Miller over Scoot, Scoot Henderson. Hey, man, I mean, I'm thinking to myself, what's what's the... Number one, we don't know... Uh, most, most of us have a better understanding. For those of us who watch basketball, even if you're not huge... In the college basketball, we, we, we've seen probably enough March Madness and such. We, we've probably seen enough or we've seen more of Brandon Miller than we have of Scoot Henderson. People who are sitting there upset about the Hornets passing on Scoot to uh, select Brandon. I mean, you're, you're basically just going on the uh, take of the scouts and what he could become. Hey, look, and we have two guys. I mean, if Charlotte drafted him. That that doesn't mean that all of a sudden Charlotte is going to explode and get to the point where Charlotte Hornets fans want to be in terms of vying for championships in four or five years. You would have two guys in Scoot and um, and um, Lamelo Ball who need the ball in their hands, who are ball dominant, who don't play any defense. And one is six five, and the other one is six two, and the other one Lamelo seems to be injured a lot. So, look, I'm glad that Brandon Miller made his bones with a successful outing in an exhibition game against Victor Wembanyama's team where, um, I don't know, he scored like 31 points or some nonsense like that. And hip, hip, hooray, he was going toe-to-toe against Wembanyama. He had uh, 28 points, 9 assists, 5 rebounds. The uh, G League team won 122-115. But, uh, you know, oh, it was great. He didn't back down and he showed moxie and he showed skill. He showed that he was a dog and all this type of stuff. Well, that, that, that's great, but you know what the uh, you're really going to uh, sit there and say, Scoot Henderson. I mean, okay, if you want to argue Scoot Henderson over Brandon Miller, that's fine, but don't act like it was something super egregious. Like, oh my goodness, I can't believe it. How could they? That's not that bad, fellas. Look, I mean, Brandon Miller is a guy, one of the best players in college basketball. What does that mean today? Not much. But still, here's a guy who showed NBA-type skills. He's six foot nine. He has a long wingspan. He's versatile. He, he, he should be a guy with his athleticism that should be able to play some defense. I mean, here's a guy who could be a, who's a good, good building block. And, you know, a guy who's a good running mate with LaMelo from the uh, front court position. So I don't, I don't see where the, oh, my goodness, this is so tragic. This is so horrible. This is so terrible. Let me ask you a question, man. How many Scoot Henderson games have you watched these past two years? Huh? I mean, the guy played, what, 25 games last season, averaged 17.6 rebounds, 5 assists. The season before that, he played uh, He played in 11 games. So you're basing this outrage and this angst and this, I can't believe it, over 36 games in terms of 
The Hornets not selecting Scoot Henderson? I, okay. I don't know what insight that you might have, but that was interesting to hear the Charlotte Hornets fans boo um, when they were holding the uh, draft party when um, when uh, Miller was selected over him. So, And what happened to Cam Whitmore of Villanova? Mock drafts had him being selected easily in the top 10. They were having them being uh, having him being selected by Villanova with the number five picks. Well, rumors started that Whitmore failed to impress during his workouts and interviews. This was by the uh, reporter Sarah Todd of the Desert News. She reported that she personally heard from executives on five different teams who were concerned about what was termed character issues with Whitmore. She wrote, uh, in each case... I was told that Whitmore was still expected to be a very high-level NBA player, and there wasn't anyone I talked to who thought Whitmore was a bad person. There was just some questions about his motivations, his level of care, his attitude prior to the 2023 draft. NBA draft ESPN insider Jonathan Govani said that Whitmore struggled at times with both his shooting and intensity during draft workouts. So... Interesting, interesting along that, if it's a character issue. So um, the Houston Rockets, who were just, just have a plethora of young talent, took him. And at the very least, I take a look at teams like Houston. Take a look at teams like Miami, excuse me, like Orlando. And I say these guys who just have, oh, are just, just, just having these young guys. I mean, is there anybody over the age of 18 in Houston? Of course there is. But if they're, they're such a young team. And they're collecting these young assets, I mean, assets at the very least, just along with Orlando. I mean, you know, put them together for a trade to maybe get somebody um, that could, uh, you know, bring some maturity and some some otherness to their team. But uh, what Houston did at number 20, taking Whitmore, yeah, it's a good, good pick. I, I was surprised. It, it must be interesting in terms of his passion and his feel and his intensity and his, his workouts with Whitmore, the fact that the team like the Los Angeles Lakers we're going to pass up on him and some other teams, uh, teams that were um, made the playoffs last a season. Wouldn't do something to maybe move up to the mid teams, teens, and get him. But uh, yeah, Whitmore was a guy that was the only real interest, or that was the only real, you know, in the NFL you have these quarterbacks, and for viewers' sake and for ratings' sake, the um, the TV execs. Always want to see that quarterback who was supposed to be drafted high keep falling and falling and falling because it'll give uh, these guys something to talk about so we can keep the attention of the viewer who would be much more in, in, intrigued and entertained by speaking about a quarterback and why he's falling rather than go on and on about a left tackle or a middle linebacker. So um, the only thing that came close to that, and Aaron Rodgers falling, a Brady Quinn falling, um, these quarterbacks, the Geno Smith falling, uh, Johnny Manziel falling, we seem to have it every year, where a quarterback in the NFL who's supposed to be drafted in the first round or high in the first round does not get drafted the first day or does not get drafted in the first round or gets drafted much lower than they thought they were going to be drafted and again that's great for the tv networks because it keeps the viewers interest but in basketball with cam whitmore who i'm quite sure hardly anybody knows about uh, in terms of wow i can't believe whitmore's falling what's up with that but uh so yeah that was the only thing that was of any intrigue after 
the Hornets selected Brandon Miller over Scoot Henderson, and then the Thompson Twins were selected number four and number five. So I tell you what, man, I heard that uh, Wimbanyana is not going to be playing overseas for a French national team. I hope he plays in the uh, Summer League, but even if he isn't, there's some prospects out there that I want to watch and see what they're going to be doing as they start their journey, uh, their NBA journey. So the, the, the NBA draft is over, right? So when everything is all said and done, we have the NBA free agents starting on July 1st. What's going on? What's going to be happening? Who did what? Who did where? And this this Damian Lillis saga, is he going to stay in Portland? Is he going to go in Portland? Man, why is it that whether he stays or whether he goes, unless he goes to Miami, in terms of him being in a position to win a championship, it really ain't going to matter. I'll talk about that after I get back and boogie. Wendell's World of Sports. I'm your host, Wendell Wallace. So glad that you could be with us. Damian Lillard, what's happening? Is he traded yet? Is what's going on here? Is Portland making a mistake? Is Portland should Portland have tried to uh, trade for Zion Williams or try to trade uh, make a trade with Brooklyn on draft day to uh, bring in Mikael Bridges? What, what's happening? What's going on? Are the are the Trailblazers setting up Damian Lillard to be the bad guy when the ultimate, when the inevitable happens? And he goes to the uh, brass of the Trailblazers and says, "Look, I've been loyal. I've done the Kevin Dur- uh, Kevin Garnett in Minnesota deal. Get me out of here. Get, send me to a place where I can win a championship." And that would make, I don't know, I don't, I don't know what circles or squares or rectangles or octagons this would be, but somehow, some way, that would paint Damian Lillard in a bad light. I, I, I don't know Damian Lillard. 33 years old, 12 years in Portland, going to the uh, brass and saying, hey, look, you guys are rebuilding. I don't want to be part of a rebuilding program, so see what you can do to get something for me to help with that rebuilding process and let me go somewhere where I can win a championship. I, I don't know I don't, I don't, don't know how that would put Damian Lillard in a bad light, and I don't know the thinking that would even come up with the Portland Trail Blazers brass that that would be an idea to, to uh, do to make Damian Lillard be a bad guy. So I don't in, in, in that in that argument, when I heard that, I was like, huh, what are y'all talking about? But as of this recording, I'm recording this on a Monday afternoon, Lillard is still being employed by the Portland Trailblazers to play basketball for their organization. He has not yet taken his talents anywhere else. Lillard Lillard, as you might have heard, has been adamant that he wants the Blazers to add veteran players that will immediately help Portland contend for a championship. Now, Sam Anik is reporting that Lillard is expected to meet with Portland's front office sometime this week to discuss the roster and the franchise's plan moving forward. It's unclear what will come out of that meeting, but Anik reports that Lillard's stance on bringing in high-level talent has not changed. And if Lillard feels like the Blazers can't do enough to turn this team into a contender quickly, 
there's been consistent rumors of him potentially requesting a trade with the Miami Heat. Here, here, here is the deal I see with Portland and Dame Lillard wanting to trade and, and, and everything right now when it comes to Dame Lillard. Really, like I mentioned before, with the exception of the Miami Heat, there's really no other avenue, there's really no other option Damian Lillard can have that can want that that can put him in the position to compete for a championship. Now, somehow, some way, the Miami Heat can keep um, can keep Jimmy Butler, Bam on the Bayou, and include a draft that or include include a trade where Tyler Hero and some draft picks and Duncan Robinson and some money are going back to Portland for Damian Lillard, giving um, the Miami Heat the big three in the Eastern Conference with Bam, Jimmy, and Damian. That would be all right. I can kind of see that, especially now um, after what the Boston Celtics did in their attempt to try to get better. Um, We still don't know what the situation is in Milwaukee. Chris Middleton just um, optioned out of his $40 million contract. So we don't know if he's going to go with Houston. We don't know if he's going to re-sign with Milwaukee. So there are some things that could give the Miami Heat a real clear path to winning the Eastern Conference uh, championship again. Uh, if they do get Damian Lillard in a trade. But other than that, please someone tell me, especially Damian's number one goal would be to win a championship in Portland. I don't think Lillard is chomping at the bits or requesting a trade or wanting a trade or anything like that. He is completely committed and driven to win a championship in Portland being the guy. But the only problem with that is as he reaches 33 years old, is that in the next couple of years, I don't see any situation whatsoever that Portland can do to put Damian Lillard in a position for him to compete for a championship. I don't see a player out there. I don't see a trade out there. I don't see a free agent out there that's going to go to Portland that's going to give the Blazers a real chance to compete for an NBA championship, especially over the next couple of years, the way that the Denver Nuggets are set up. So I'm just playing this game with y'all, man. I'm just, I just want to play this game with you. and say, what trade can be out there? What player out there can the Portland Trailblazers acquire to put themselves in the position with Damian Lillard to compete for a championship? Because if you do have to, if you, if you do make a trade, you're going to have to somehow include uh, Anthony Simons, Shadayton Sharp, maybe Yusuf Nurkic, one of those picks or a multitude of those picks. And when you take a look at the best players in the league, you take a look at the Nikola Jokic's and the Giannis Adenikupo's and the Joel Embiid's and the Jason Tatum's and the Luka's and the Shea Gilgis Alexander's and the Jalen Brown and the KD's and the LeBron's and the Steph Curry and the Anthony Davis and the, and the Devin Booker's. Man, out of those best players in the league, there's only a couple. There's only a handful that would give the Trailblazers a realistic shot to win a championship. And oh, guess what? Denver ain't trading Nikola Jokic. Milwaukee ain't trading Giannis Antetokounmpo. The Philadelphia 76ers, they ain't trading Joel Embiid. The Boston Celtics aren't going to be trading Jason Tatum. And guess what? If you somehow, some way, let's just play fantasy, let's run through all the scenarios, putting Luka with Damian Lillard on the Portland Trailblazers, that doesn't make them championship contenders. Shea Gilgis-Alexander with the Portland Trailblazers with Dame Lillard. That doesn't make them championship um, uh, contenders. Jalen Brown, Steph Curry, LeBron, Anthony Davis, Katie. None of those guys make 
the Portland Trailblazers with Dame Lillard's Dame Lillard favorites in the Western Conference. None of the that that twosome of Lillard Alexander, Lillard Booker, Lillard Davis, Lillard Braun, Lillard Curry. That still wouldn't put them over the top with Denver. And this the notion about well trade them to um, trade Lillard to uh, Brooklyn for Bikel Bridges. If I'm if I'm Portland, I want a little bit more than that, man. I've got the best player who's ever played for my franchise who's still doing work, who's still a top 15 player in the NBA, and, and really, as a guy who's in the top 7 or 8 when he's right, he's still available. And then the only thing or the main thing that I'm going to get from a trade is Mikhail Bridges? No, if I'm Portland, I want something better than that. And look, with Scoot and Damian Lillard, they, they definitely ain't going to win. I, I don't give a damn how great Scoot is. A backcourt of Scoot Henderson and Damian Lillard ain't doing nothing in terms of competing for an NBA championship or a conference championship. So for Portland, I don't I don't know exactly what people are talking about. Why didn't they trade the number three pick? Why didn't they trade the number three pick to get Lillard some help? Who? Who's out there that you were going to trade the number three pick for? Who? A 350 pound porn star banging Zion Williamson? That was the guy that you were going to uh, put on with Damian Lillard that was going to be able to compete for a championship? Anybody in Orlando? Anybody in Houston? Uh, No. There's not a player out there. And you would have to get a player. Pick swaps, multiple picks that could come from uh, a team like Brooklyn. That ain't going to help Damian Lillard win a championship. It can help Portland in three years or five years. You trade Lillard, you get the picks, and then you just hope and pray that um, Henderson um, lives up to expectation and Nasir Little continues to uh, improve. And so Dayton Sharp continues to improve. And you maybe get lucky with a free agent and maybe another draft pick in 24 or 25 that can help you eventually get to that point where you're challenging uh, a team like uh, Denver. But but pick swaps and picks, future picks, right now, that ain't going to do nothing for Damian Lillard. It's not going to put Portland in a better position when, uh, when for Damian Lillard. So all of these things, I just shake my head and just, I just say, I, I don't know exactly where Damian Lillard or the Portland Trailblazers are supposed to go and what they're supposed to do to put them in the position to win a championship this year. It ain't going to happen. The only situation in which Lillard can hope for is that trade with the Miami Heat. If the Heat can, you know, take and trade its 20, 28, 20, 30 first round pick, Offer swaps in 27 and 29. You have Tyler Hero, Nikola Jovich, their first-round draft pick from last year. Jaime Jaquez. Those are the only three players with value who are under 25 years old. And with Hero, you'd be picking up, what, a four-year, 140? $140 million, $140 million contract, which I guess would keep the uh, Trailblazers not completely underwater, but not um, titanic levels of ineptitude. When you're speaking about how bad they would be, when you speak about them rebuilding and starting that process all over, the 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 the, the Trailblazers, they're in the same position that the Wizards were with Bradley Beal. You know, a longtime guy, one of the better players in the history of their program. He's a really good guy. He wants to stay with that organization. He wants to make it work with the organization. He has a great relationship with uh, Ted Leonis, just like uh, Lillard has with. Um, the Trailblazer organization, all of those things were set up. And 
Washington did not want to move any way, shape, or form. Ted Leonis did not want to move Bradley Beal any way, shape, or form. Ted Leonis many times stated, when well, why don't you trade Bradley Beal? Why don't you just start all over? Why don't you rebuild? Why don't you go through the process? Why don't you stink and start building from nothing? Ted Leonis would say, I'm never, ever, 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 ever going to tank. I'm always going to be trying to make the playoffs. I'm always going to be trying to put the best product on the floor out there. Well, that's great, but unfortunately, when you have ineptitude, when you have inept GMs like Ernie Grunfeld, that was never going to happen. So instead of trading Bradley Beal when they could have to get themselves some uh, picks and some compensation that would really help them moving forward, they had to pay, they had to uh, sell Bradley Beal cheap or his uh, his uh, services cheap. Same thing now with Damian Lillard. I mean, I don't expect Portland, Portland should not have traded Lillard at the same time Beal did. But, I mean, maybe the handwriting was on the wall to say, hey, man, maybe we should have done this maybe last year or something like that. But it all depends. It all depends on what happens. But for uh, Damon Lillard, staying in Portland, his basketball hometown, the greatest trailblazer who ever played, yes, even greater than Clyde Drexler, yes, even greater than Bill Walton, yes, even greater than Maurice Lucas, Yes, even greater than Sam Bowie. Oops. That situation, um, unless he wants to finish out his career in Portland and never make it closer, never sniff a championship, that's fine. But, uh, you know, if he wants to win a championship in the next couple of years, uh, Miami, Miami, Miami would have to give him that vice to do so. Last segment of the podcast, last segment of the program, Wendell's World of Sports. I'm your host, Wendell Wallace. So glad that you can be with us. Again, remember, as always, hey, man, do what we need to do, please. If you could do whatever you need to do to make this world a better place to be, understanding, listening, learning from those who do not look like you, from those from a different background, from those from a different side of the track, from those who might uh, be different than you, could you please just kind of take some time to get to know them, get to know them a little bit better? I'm not saying that you have to uh, name your first child after them or go ahead and have them become your best friend, but knowledge is power, man. Knowledge is king and queen. Knowledge is Nubian, baby, when it comes to the power. So see what you can do to do that, please, from both sides of the track. That would be appreciated. Wendell's World in Sports, I'm your host, Wendell Wallace. So glad that you can be with us. All right, my Washington Wizards. It's about damn time. Officially tanking for next season. Sure wish they could have done that again last season. So they might have been able to be in a position to get themselves a scoot. To get themselves one of the Thompson twins. To get them Wimbanyana. But unfortunately, they're one year late. But at least the progress has started. Um, They traded Christoph Porzingis to the Boston Celtics as part of a three-team trade. That also includes Marcus Smart heading to the Memphis Grizzlies. The deal also includes the Grizzlies acquiring Smart from Boston in exchange for first-round draft picks in 2023 and 24. And ESPN reported the Wizards are also receiving uh, guards Tyus Jones receiving his services from Memphis and forwards Mike Muscala and Donato Gallinari and a second-round draft pick 
this year from June from uh, Boston. I don't know who he, who they spend it on, but all right. So when everything was all done, set and done, the Wizards were still not done. They acquired guards Chris Paul and Landry Shamit. Four first-round draft swaps, 2024, 26, 28, and 30, and six second-round draft picks from 2024, 25, 26, 27, 28, and 30 from the Phoenix Suns as part of the agreement to trade Bradley Beal to Phoenix. And then the Wizards traded Paul to the Golden State Warriors in exchange for Jordan Poulton, a 2030 first-round draft pick, and a 2027 second-round draft pick. Um, yeah, look, look, look at my Wizards. Michael Winger, Winger doing something that um, I say thank you. Maybe we'll have a GM worth a damn. Because in my lifetime of being a Washington Bullets slash Wizards fans, please, no more Wes Unsells as GMs. No more John Nashes. No more Bob Ferries. No more no more Ernie Grunfelds. Please, no more Michael Jordans as, as president of basketball operations. Please, please don't. No, no more of that, please. Can we get a GM in there who knows what they're doing? And for Leonis, look, man, you know, we, we, we tried your way in terms of I'm never going to take, and I want to show loyalty to my players, and that's the reason why I signed, I signed John Wall to a um, max contract and a super max contract and Bradley Beal, not only signing him to a super max contract when no one else was going to come close, but also putting him in a no-trade clause but basically screwed up the chances you could have you could have uh, had to improve the team even more after tearing it down. So please, Ted, let Michael Winger do a thing. Let that organ, let that um, front office do a thing, and we can start building a championship again. Um, I've always said this: when you take a look at the position, and you take a look at where the three teams that were part of this trade, part of the Wizards trades, Washington, Boston, and Golden State, when you speak about okay, what what was the reasons for them doing that? Okay, my philosophy has always been that if I was the owner of the Washington Wizards, my ultimate dream to either be the owner of the Washington Wizards or to be the general manager or a team that could be put together, two, two dreams that are never going to come true. But my philosophy is always this. Hey, man, we're doing two things with my team. Either we're in the process of getting better to compete for a championship ultimately, or we're going to do everything that we can to compete for a championship. There's no in-between. Either we're going to start from ground zero, we're going to... If, if I have a team who I don't think can win a championship, I'm blowing it up. After a certain amount of time, I'm blowing it up. Or it's not even in a position to win a championship, I'm blowing it up. Because being in the position where you're playing for a play-in game, or you're the number seven seed, or you're the number eight seed, and that's where you max out, that sucks. Nothing. I would rather stink out loud than be mediocre. I would rather go year after year trying to build to get better than just be mediocre and play for the playing game every year. And with being from the Washington, D.C. metropolitan area, the, the DMV, our professional sports teams, they either stink out loud or they just they, they reach for mediocrity. The Washington Commanders, they are stuck in mediocrity. They reach for mediocrity. They loathe it. They, they loathe doing anything that's going to take a chance and make them great or put them as far as being Super Bowl contenders. The Washington Commanders live in Mediocrityville. 
They love Mediocrityville. They have property, they have a home, they have a car, they have a business, their children go to school, they have their retirement plans, all located in Mediocreville, where every year my Washington commanders are going to go 9 and 8, 10 and 7, 7 and 10, 8 and 9, year after year after year. Was Lamar Jackson ever considered a trade prospect to the Washington Commanders? Nah, because we have Sam Howell. We're going to try fourth round draft pick Sam Howell as the starting quarterback for your team instead of maybe making a move to see what we can do to get Lamar Jackson. Welcome to the Washington Commanders living in Mediocreville. The same thing with the uh, Washington Wizards for so many years. After that last run with Bradley Beal and and uh, one of the Morris twins, and Otto Porter, and uh, John Wallen uh, um, making the second round of the playoffs going down in seven games against the Boston Celtics. Ever since then, the only thing that Tommy Shepard and, and Ernie Grunfeld and Ted Leonis have wanted to do is to strive to get into the play-in game. I don't know next year. I don't know the year before that or the year that they made the playoffs. I don't know if they're going to be putting up the banners that said that we made the uh, that we won the play-in tournament. But that's what the Wizards were conducting their business from the outside looking in. That's what it looked like to me. Let's make Bradley Beal happy and let's see what we can do to uh, make the playoffs. Not win, a, not win a round, or not even win a championship, or even start the progress of trying to get to a point where we have a team good enough to win a championship. No, 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 no. As long as we make the playoffs and get blown out in the first round by Philadelphia or Boston or Milwaukee or whoever, that's, that will be good enough for us. And that was the definition, that was the best definition or best example that I could give you for the Washington Wizards in terms of signing Bradley Beal to a Supermax contract with no trade clause because Bradley Beal is a great guy who, like Washington, D.C., was great in the community and had a good relationship with the owner. That is the best example that I can give you that the Washington Wizards just love being mediocre, were comfortable being mediocre, and had no problem being mediocre for years to come, for at least five years under that contract with Bradley Beal. So I'm glad that the new ownership came in and said, nah, man, fuck that. Let's stink out loud less year, uh, next year, and let's see what we can do to uh, build our team. So right now, Washington has started that journey. These trades symbolize that they're starting the journey to become uh, a Denver Nuggets team or a Boston Celtics team or a Milwaukee Bucks team or a team that's going to be competing for championships and conference championships for a period of three to four to five years. And it might take six or seven years to do so. We might not be looking at this finished product in terms of the uh, Wizards being conference championship contenders. Maybe not until the year 2027. Well, I'll damn near be 60 years old. But you know what? I'd rather go through the pains and the strifes and the losing if it means we'll get to that point. Not that they're going to be guaranteed to win a championship, but they will be put in a position to where they will have a legit chance to win themselves a championship. And even if they do a Boston Celtics with Tatum and Brown and uh, Marcus Smart in this group of Boston Celtics and not reach that mountaintop and win that championship, while I'll be sad that they didn't win a championship, I'll be happy the fact that they were one of the elite teams in the NBA during a period of time where they could win a championship. I would rather experience that euphoria in the year 2028 through 31 rather than just being mediocre and winning anywhere between 35 and 44 games a season. So the journey for the Wizards symbolizes 
And what starts with those trades that they made. On the other hand, when you take a look at the uh, Boston Celtics and you take a look at the Golden State Warriors, I think it was a smart move. Is the Porzingis move for Boston um, dicey? Is it, uh, does it does it comes with some concerns? Yeah. Porzingis had a good year last year. He had a good year when he got traded um, and he came over to uh, Washington. But again, this was a team that was stuck in mediocrity. He still missed some games because of injury. And he really wasn't playing for anything. The attention, the expectations of um, winning championships or, or doing things, that wasn't that wasn't Porzingis. Porzingis didn't have to deal with that. And Porzingis knew that he was the number one or number two option. That's not going to be happening now in Boston. And the expectations now are going to be much bigger. The Boston Celtics fans, and I'm, I'm guessing even the uh, coaching staff, the team that is employing him, that is paying his checks, I'm going to go on the assumption that, hey, man, you are now the missing piece. We traded away the heart and soul of our team, one of Brad Stevens' favorite players, one of the Boston Celtics' community favorite players, and Marcus Smart. We jettisoned him to Memphis to bring you in with the hopes that, you know what, making a conference final, uh-uh. Making the NBA finals, mm -mm. been there, done that. We wanted to do that. We would have kept the same team that we had right now. You are going to be the guy that is going to make us, put us in a position to win a championship. That's it. You don't have to be the number one guy. You're not going to be needing to shoot 18 to 25 shots per game. You're not going to be asking this to average 23, 24, 25 points a game. The responsibilities and the expectations that you had when you first came into the league with the New York Knicks, the expectations that you had of being Luka's sidekick to being Robin to uh, Luka being Batman in Dallas, none of that stuff is going to be asked of you. But you do have to be that rim protector. You do have to be that three-point shooter. And you do have to be the guy that's going to be healthy enough and have a... Um, um, multiple a, a, a game to where you can shoot from the outside, protect the rim, and uh, score from inside the three-point line at a clip of maybe 15 to 18, 19 points a game to get us to where we are going to be winning a championship. I'm going to be interested to see if Porzingis can handle that type of responsibility because he didn't handle, I don't know, I, eh, the Knicks didn't handle, I don't know if I want to say that, but him, mellow, this, that, and the other. Eh. But this is going to be, and, 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 and poor Zingas was just a kid new to the country, new to the culture. So I'm not going to uh, hold what he did in uh, New York and say, well, based on New York, this is how he's going to perform with the uh, Celtics. He's older, he's more mature, he's more comfortable, he knows the game, he knows his place, this, that, and the other. I'm more interested to see now with the... Um, with the um, leadership role being vacated by Smart in this trade, is Jason Tatum now going to be that guy who's going to be the true leader of the team? He's the best player on the team. But when I hear Marcus Smart with the heart and soul, is now is it now time for Jalen? Uh, excuse me, for um, Jason Tatum at this point in time period of his career. Now it's time for him to be that guy. Now it's time for him to be like, this is my team. This is the way we're going to be doing things. And I'm going to be doing that based on the way that I play. Not just by how many points I score. None of that stuff. But it's going to be just my overall demeanor, my overall leadership skills, my overall maturity. Man, Jason Tatum, he should be now ready to take over 
Marcus Smart for that uh, responsibility. Him and Jalen Brown. I mean, hell, how many conference championships have they been to? How many heartaches have they been to? How many big games have they played in? How many great teams have they vanquished? How many championship opportunities are they going to get? And now with Tatum and Brown, when the Celtics resign Jalen Brown, and they're going to be making the majority of the money, you can't look for Christoph Porzingis to fill the role of Marcus Smart. You can't look toward Derek White to fill the role of Marcus Smart. You can't look toward Al Horford in his remaining years to fill the role for Marcus Smart. You can't look for Joe Mazzula. You can't look for Sam Cassell. You can't look for any of those guys to replace the heart and the soul and the energy and the passion and the maturity that Marcus Smart brought in, the professionalism that Marcus Smart brought to you day in, day out as that leader of the team. That is now the responsibility of Jason Tatum. And we'll see what he does. And for the Golden State Warriors, it's a situation where if under the assumption that Draymond Green is going to resign with the club, hey man, if I'm Golden State, as long as Steph Curry is still one of the best five, six, seven players of the in the league, and can have the impact that he can have on the game, I've got to I've got to do everything that I can. It's like the LeBron James situation. You have to, when LeBron was still the player that you could still win a championship with, with him being the main guy. You you can't look toward the future. You you can't do that. Bob Myers tried to do that before. In the draft that when he drafted um, James Wiseman and Jonathan Kaminga and Moses Moody and re-signed Jordan Poole for an extraordinary amount of money for what he brought to the table, they they, they thought that possibly the older guys or the, the the younger draft picks and the younger players could help extend or help uh, Stephen Curry extend the chances that he could have have the win a championship. Well, that ain't happening. That didn't happen. James Wiseman was a horrible fit. The book is still out, or we don't know exactly what's going to be happening in terms of the immediate impact over the next couple of years with Jonathan Kaminga and Moses Moody and some of these other guys. So we don't know. So so getting Chris Paul on the team, especially to run that second unit, when the wheels fell off the car, the train, the planes, and the automobiles when Stephen Curry went to the bench because Jordan Poole was not a point guard. He was more of a guy who wanted to shoot rather than set up the offense. Now Chris Ball brings in a stabilizing force, a mature force, a professional um, a spirit that can help out that second team. So again, is that good enough to beat Denver? I don't think so. But in a seven-game series... Will it give Stephen Curry the opportunity to at least get a shot to carry a team past the uh, Nuggets or to an NBA championship? If I'm the Golden State Warriors, as well as Stephen Curry is playing right now, you have to uh, do everything you can and have that glass half full. We can do this. It's always brighter and sunnier on the other side to go ahead and do those things. So the first big move from Mike Dunleavy Jr., the new GM for the um, Golden State Warriors, we'll see what happens with that. All right, I am done. I am out of here. I am good to go. I want to thank you so much for listening to the podcast. Yeah, how about that? No two-hour podcast today, huh? Yeah, how about that? Hooray for me. Um, Spotify, Amazon, iHeart, iTunes. Come on, man. Give me a listen. Give me a like. Give me a five-star review. Give me all of those things. More importantly, though, man, I want people who are listening to this podcast to remember, try to be good people. Look inward and see what you can do. 
to maybe fix some of your weaknesses, some of your insecurities, to get better at them, to keep working on them, being a better person, um, dropping some of the negativity, dropping some of the stereotypes, dropping some of the bigotry, dropping some of the misogyny, dropping some of the negative, ignorant stereotypes that have been embedded in us uh, for some of us for decades. Let's see what we can do to uh, carve that nonsense out, though. We can leave a better place for the younger and younger generation and be and set good examples for them so this world could be in a place where people are judged by who they are as human beings not by the color of their skin or by their gender or by their political affiliation or by who they love or um what god they worship if they worship a god at all so let's see what we can do to uh make this world a better place huh right sure okay wendell wallace wendell's world in Wendell's World in Sports, get me out of here, please, with some music. <laughs>